little side section of the show that I thought would be fun. Uh, my son Dexter had been on the show previously with the Jason X episode, and my daughter Dolly, or Dahlia, uh, thought that she would like to be on the show as well. Uh, she's a big horror fan, uh, one of the biggest horror fans I know, and I thought it would be fun to ask her five films that she would recommend during the, Holly, uh, the Halloween season. So here they are. Dahlia, how are you doing? Good. Good. Awesome. I'm glad that you are good. So you have five movies for me, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. What is your number five? Um, It Chapter One. It Chapter One. Like the, of the newer one, not the classic It. Yeah, but, the okay. newer one. Okay, cool. Why would you recommend It Chapter One? Well, it's really scary and very fun to watch. There's really fun stuff to think about, and it can be really scary, and I'll give you nightmares for about a week. Okay, well, that's a good enough reason. Awesome. So, everyone, It Chapter 1. Uh, what's your number four? Um, number four now. Okay. Um, Us. Us? Like the Jordan Pill movie, Us? Yes. Awesome. That is so cool. Why would you recommend that one? Well, it's very scary, and, they're, and it's about these people who... It kind of takes a little twist into it. It's just about these people, and it takes a twist. What does that even mean? <laughs> well, these people, they're living in this one house, and they see these people. They think it's trying to kill them, but it's, it's actually them, huh? Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's I love that the movie. Other way. That movie's so it great. a big twist. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely recommend that one as well. It's one of my favorite movies of this year. Okay, number three. Okay, well, number three, I would recommend, like, the new Halloween that came out on October. Oh, like last year? Like yeah. David Gordon Green's Halloween? Yeah. Awesome. Why would you recommend that one? That's well, a, I love that movie. Well, it has, like, Michael Myers in it. He comes back from three and then to, to a very, very different one. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I like that one, too. It's really cool. It's cool to see Laurie Strode come back. And yeah, uh, she's all afraid about what happened. She's all geared up. She's geared up, right? Ready for action. <laughs> geared up. <laughs> You're dark. Okay. <laughs> okay, number two. What is your number two? Number four. Uh, no, five, four, three. No, you're number two. Okay. No. Okay, number two. What is it? Um, well, it is really... It should be... It should be Halloween 4. Halloween 4? Oh, cool. I love that movie. That's actually one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay, why Halloween 4? Well, Halloween 4 Which is, is funny, because this is the Halloween 4 episode. Go for it. Why yeah. Halloween 4? Halloween 4, because it's it's really fun to watch, and Michael Myers, he's like all popping up everywhere, and and Jamie, she, keeps on, she saw his mask, and then... She's just all freaked out. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Yeah, okay, cool. number one. Your number one movie to watch during the Hollywood, Halloween season. Um, I like three, actually, Halloween 3. So, yeah, a lot of Halloween movies in this list. Why Halloween 3? Well, because I, it kind of doesn't it doesn't show Michael Myers because it's coming back with new villains on there. Mm -hmm. And they see this mask and they kind of turn evil, but not really. Mm-hmm. The mask kind of killed the children, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and Dr. Chalice has to stop it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. Uh, do you have any other recommendations really quickly? Um, I know you're a big Scream fan. Oh, yeah, Scream. Scream all the way. Scream all the way? Which one? Out of all four um, of them, which one would you recommend the most? 
I believe, isn't it Ford, that one where Ghostface throws the pillows? I'm not sure. I've only seen it once. Yeah. Um, that one? Uh, what else? Yeah. I know you're a big Trick or Treat fan, too. Oh, Trick or Treat! Speaking of Sam, mm-hmm. he, um, he, well, he is this little kid who's a demon under his, like, basically his mask and mm-hmm. his... It's a bunch of stories, right? An yeah, anthology. Of- awesome. Well, there you go, guys. That was Dahlia Smith's recommendations for your Halloween season. If you haven't seen these movies, you should. And I, I would recommend, and obviously Dahlia would recommend, you checking them out. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum. Another little bonus part as we wrap up our Halloween 3 episode here. We figure if Jerry and Dahlia are going to get on in on the act and talk about uh, Dahlia's five recommendations for the holiday season, Halloween season, here is my daughter Ada giving her five movie recommendations for this Halloween season. How are you doing tonight, Ada? Good. You've had a busy weekend? Yeah. Your first haunted house? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure... Reese squeezes me to death. Oh my goodness. That was pretty spooky. I don't know how you're going to go back to school after those haunted halls. I hope <laughs> Reese was the one done. who's like, I'm not scared, and if they touch me, I'm going to punch him in the face. And then the second we got in, she started screaming, oh. I don't want to go in. <laughs> it was bananas. Okay, Ada, so why don't you tell our listeners five movies, what's the first movie out of five you would recommend for holiday Halloween season? Probably Shaun of the Dead. Oh, what do you like about Shaun of the Dead? It's it's a fun movie, but it's also scary. What was the scary bit about it? The part where the zombies are about that guy. Yeah, that was pretty scary when they rip him up. Yeah. Into a lot of pieces. Yeah. So that's one movie. What's another one you'd recommend? Um, Nightmare on Elm Street three. Nightmare on Elm Street the third one. Yeah. We're in there in the mental hospital. Uh-huh. I thought that one was, was fun. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. What were some of the fun bits in that one? I liked all of it. You liked all of it? Yeah. You could pick out one Except bit. the part where the um, Freddy Krueger killed the original girl. Yeah, that wasn't so good. People wish that she was back. She's in the last one, too, though. How? She's dead. She plays herself. Exactly. Daddy feels the same way from the look on your face. Uh, what's another one you would recommend? Um, there's a lot of movies to choose from. I know. I don't... What did we watch last think. week that you really liked? It was pretty scary. Um, I for, What did we watch? What did we watch? It had Sam in it. Oh, yeah, Trick or Treat. I like Trick or Treat. That yeah. was a good one. Yeah, no, that was pretty scary, though, right? Yeah. Do you think it was scarier the second time or the first time you saw it? The first time. The first time, really? I thought you were yeah. more scared this time because you kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, yeah, probably the second time because I knew it was going to happen. It yeah. was creepier. You had a nightmare that night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you had a giant chocolate head, and Sam kept trying to eat it. Or I something. think that was you, Dad. Uh, not I'm trying to eat your head. <laughs> Maybe it was the kitten trying to eat your head. Dad. So that's three. We need two more picks. Um. Let me think. Because so you've watched a lot of horror movies. Yeah. Oh, I like The Blair Witch. Oh, my goodness. What was fun about that movie? That's a really good Halloween movie. 
because it was creepy and you and it was um and you could see what was going on and it was all but there were some parts where you were like like at the end you didn't know what was gonna happen and you mm -hmm. were scared and there's also a lot of since it's like one of the first movies who use the internet to trick people mm -hmm. it was really fun because you can go on all these websites yeah. which are which are like I hope you're not going on uh, these websites. No, which are like, um, like based on that, mm -hmm. which are fake. But then, like, if you want to watch more, you can uh, you can just go on to YouTube and search up yeah. something. It's like Blair Witch this, yeah. and then it will come up as more things that you ha didn't know because they wanted to make it seem real. So they did so. more doc like. And they did more film to try yeah. to trick people into thinking it was a documentary. So you could make the whole story in your head at that point, huh? Yeah. Now, what would be a fun, for a fifth pick, what's a fun Halloween movie for people that don't necessarily like to get scared? Okay, I was just about to say It for oh the boy. next one. So It is pretty scary, though, <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Pennywise the is, Clown. Another one is It. Let's not yeah. be... <laughs> So that For could be people a, who don't like to be so. So it is your fifth pick. Give me a special bonus pick then. Okay. A family friendly, something that mom would like when she doesn't want to watch a horror movie but wants a Halloween movie. Okay. Usually you show me all the scary ones. I know. Well, what have we watched that is like not super scary but um, fun? Oh my god, I forget what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, you know that one where it's the Fourth of July and there are aliens. Uh huh. I forget what that was called. Independence Day. Independence Day for Halloween. Yeah, but okay. still a good one. All right. Doesn't mean it's not good. Fair enough. So halfway to Halloween, we'll watch Independence Day. All right, Ada. Do you have any last words for our listeners? No, I just thought of something. What? what if the actors are still actors and not real people and they didn't actually die after that? So if they walked, like, uh, so when they finished and the movie went, was sent out and people watched it and went all crazy and everybody was watching it. Yeah, what I movie mean, are you talking about? The Blair Witch. Oh, funny, they are actors. They weren't real. I know, but like, what if people like you look exactly like this person well, from a movie I what saw? Happened. People thought they were really dead. Yeah, so they're like, uh, you look oh, exactly like somebody so, from a movie I saw. So anything and you to say to really our tell listeners? Anybody. Um, no. No happy Halloween or anything? Happy Halloween. Well, too late now. <laughs> All right, you go. Happy Halloween. No. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Hurry 
Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, your horror movie podcast covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie, one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we feeling today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I, I do have to say, though, and I've wanted to say this for a, a long time, like your intro to these episodes, to every episode, mm-hmm. it makes me smile every time because there's there's just so much energy that it, it reminds me of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. You I know? Do my, it's, like, it's my Hello. guy Smiley. It's my <laughs> yeah, guy Smiley from the Muppets. <laughs> no, but I, I am so, so excited about this episode. This is actually one of my favorite movies of all time, not yes. just in the Hollywood series, just in general. It's yeah, me too. Movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, I mean, now that we're not talking about garbage like Halloween one from nineteen seventy-eight, you know, absolute <laughs> absolute trash, like just, oh you know, goodness. one of the most reviled movies ever made. No, I'm kidding. Please don't hate us right now. I'm joking, people. Um, but Jerry, we are joined by a super special guest tonight, a longtime friend of mine, uh, who I'm really excited to have on. Um, filmmaker, author, writer entrepreneur like you name it she wears a million different hats we have miss izzy lee joining us tonight izzy how are we doing hello i'm super awesome thanks for having me man so excited to have you on and we've tried to get you on before and you're like let me know when you're doing halloween three so (laughs) we had this one bookmark for a while here um so how we always like to start izzy is we like to talk a little bit about what it is about this particular entry that made you say like this is why i want to jump on so tell us when you first fell in love with halloween three and tom atkins oh my god all right so I first saw Tom Atkins in Night of the Creeps in, I want to say, the early 90s on Monster Vision, uh, Joe Bob's Monster Vision on TNT, mm-hmm. along with like a whole other slew of amazing movies like The Brood and Phantasm. Like, holy shit, that show really was an amazing eye-opener. Oh, and Motel Hell is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see Halloween 3 until later, and I can't remember when that was. I've seen the movie about a billion times, and it all just sort of sinks into each other. But I was like, hey, this is Tom Atkins, and this looks like a really weird, bizarre, Mm -hmm. weirdo movie, and people hate it. I have to see it. So, yeah. And it's funny. We know it's been a long time since (laughs) you first saw the movie then because nobody hates this movie anymore. Yeah, good. You know, it's one of those things. It's weird. Yeah. It's one of those things where everyone's like, oh, no, I always loved Halloween 3. It's like people that say they were at like Ted Williams' last ball game, like 10,000 people were there. (laughs) But if you ask anyone, like Fenway had 500,000 people that day. Ridiculous. They're they're all liars. You know, like I I had the flu when I was, uh, I think, 11. Mm -hmm. And... My mom took me to rent, like, a, just a whole bunch of VHS movies, you know, just to keep me busy while I was, you know, away from school for a few days. And uh, one of them was Halloween 3. So I was 11 when I first saw the movie. And from that moment on, it's just – there is so much to love in that movie. And mm-hmm. I, I found myself defending it for decades. Mm-hmm. So while right. – see, I – that, and I'm always on the line of, like – one at one end being really excited that people love it now but at the other end being like what the hell where were you guys when people yeah. would, you know call me a loser for like in halloween right. three yeah it's like when someone's band blows up and you're like yeah the first seven inch was better you know it's one of those <laughs> things where you want to be almost like protective of that band or that art at that point i think i saw this when i was super young because i remember my uncle i would go visit him on fridays he would like watch he would watch us, and he was the first person I knew that had a VCR. 
And he mm-hmm. was like, eh, I'm going to watch The Shining, and I'm going to watch Salem's Lot, and I'm going to watch um, Halloween 3. And if a bunch of eight-year-olds happen to be in the room, so be it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was too young to pick up on a lot of what's going on in this movie, but the one thing that always stood out was the face-melting scene with the masks. Like, that's <laughs> the one thing I always remembered from this movie. And I think this is probably... I know I would watch Halloween 2 when it played on the local TV stations as a kid, but I think I saw this before even that happened overall. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, wow. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. So what can we talk about here? Let's talk about the background of this movie overall. Um, this is the movie that almost killed the Halloween franchise, right? <laughs> yeah. It did. And, you know, one thing that uh, kind of not bothers me because I mean, I'm not like actively pissed off about it. But when when you think about the background of Halloween 3 and you read all these articles, one thing I think is kind of important is Joe Dante's involvement. Wait, what? Tell me more. Yeah, I have no idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. Joe Dante was the original director, actually. He was Mm -hmm. John Carpenter's first choice. And Joe Dante was actually the person who kind of pushed Carpenter into approaching Nigel Neal to write it. Uh, the only reason Joe Dante dropped out is because Spielberg and everyone kind of offered him to be involved with Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. So that's that's when a lot of the kind of anthology ideas come from Carpenter, but Joe Dante had a heavy hand in all that, too. I have never heard that uh, before. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, that And I, I think it's really interesting. I, I You know, I'm a huge fan of Joe Dante, but, I mean, I think the film would have been just – it would have been, like, just dramatically different. I think yeah. what Tommy Lee Wallace brought to the, the movie is – it's such a great homage to kind of like the body snatchers, you know, kind of yeah. films, but and and it has that kind of dark tone to it. Yeah. Like I, I still wonder like what Dante's movie would have been like though. For sure. Do you know why he dropped out? Uh, yeah, just because of Twilight Zone. They oh, offered him that, and he thought it would have been like a bigger opportunity, which obviously mm-hmm. it was. So. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, it had a troubled history all of itself. Yeah. So, I mean, right? if, if Halloween, there's like three less dead people involved with Season of the Witch. So <laughs> oh, it does have God. that going for it. So, oh, we'll go there. <laughs> we'll absolutely go there. So you're right. The, the first thing, the name you mentioned was uh, Nigel Neal, who is the creator of like the, the British Quatermass uh, series or Quatermass series, mm-hmm. who was brought on by Carpenter to write the script. And it didn't have like a real horror element to it overall. It was more about psychological horror and identity. Um, and Carpenter hated the script initially. Mm-hmm. Well, if I remember correctly, like, I mean, yeah, yeah, it was definitely more uh, character driven uh, in, in a way that like, you know, I, I think the jump from the kind of suspense in Halloween two to the more like gory kind of approach in Halloween three mm-hmm. or Halloween two. I mean, uh, I think the next step would have been something more in line, along the lines of ho- what Halloween 3 was. And I think Neil kind of had this idea to make it more like those old school Quatermass movies, you know, more about paranoia and and less about, you know, actual like scares and stuff. Mm-hmm. There's some sci-fi elements in there, too, and it's just a whole wacky thing. It, yeah, Tommy Lee Wallace mm-hmm. went and did his director's pass. And strangely enough, he's the sole credited writer if you watch mm-hmm. the film it says written to directed by Tommy Lee Wallace yeah. but if you watch the extras on the latest screen factory releases he's like there's no way i should have just been credited he, mm-hmm. he does bring up you know mr quatermass for sure so you guys would know a bit more about who gets credited for what than i would overall so why would that be cuz you're right cuz wallace said about 60 to 70% of 
um, Neil's script remained intact overall mm-hmm. and the basic story is intact. What, why would he not be credited as a writer? How does that get divvied up? Um, well, I, I, I think it's because uh, Neil had like a really bad history of uh, his writing kind of being affected in Hollywood and tampered with. Mm-hmm. So w- with all the arguments between Wallace, Carpenter, and Nigel Neal, he demanded his name be taken off. Okay. Like he didn't want anything to do with it, you know, and I think it's it's really awesome and very humble of Tommy Lee Wallace to give, you know, Nigel Neal credit on that Screen Factory mm-hmm. Blu-ray. Because, I mean, Neil didn't even want credit for it when it came mm-hmm. out. Crazy. So Neil was Alan Moore before there was Alan Moore, basically, yes. is what you're saying. Minus, okay. minus the chaos magic and, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. So, and Jerry, you, you and I had talked about this a little bit uh, on our Halloween 2 episode, where now Carpenter and Deborah Hill are going back to their original idea they had for Halloween as a series where it's not just about like a slasher killer that goes around hunting co-eds and hospital workers down, but really exploring the different mythology between behind the holiday of Halloween and looking at the different aspects over it all. So what are some of the key elements that we're exploring here that they were trying to explore with Halloween 3? I think they took the idea of Saw Wynn or Sam Hain and kind of ran with it, you know, and I think that's really awesome because prior to Halloween three, we really hadn't got much of that, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, there, I mean, obviously there's some real batshit stuff going on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if, if you really, if anyone hasn't seen Halloween three and you tell them, yeah, it's the third movie, no Michael Myers, but there's uh druid robot loving bad guys who are obsessed with Stonehenge <laughs> and Saw Wynn. Like that, like even that, how can you not love that? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, like you don't need a new Screen Factory release to make me fall in love with that plot. Right. Like, you know, from a 10 or 11 on, that was just my shit. Uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot. It's all about tricks. And I, I think that's great. It kind of takes that trick or treat vibe and it puts the emphasis on the tricks, you know, and that's basically what uh, Cochran's doing. You know, he he wants to play the ultimate trick on all of our children, and it's mm-hmm. devilish, it's just cynical as fuck, and <laughs> God, I love this movie. I do too. It's so brutal to kids. <laughs> yeah. Kids What's never funny come is, to a good end in my movies either. Right? What's funny is, uh, and we'll probably talk about this more in the episode, but I, I interviewed Tom Atkins for a, a piece on Halloween 3, actually, for Scream Magazine recently, nice. and I asked the question, I was like, okay... Me personally, all the kids died. What totally. do you feel? Oh, he's and such an optimist too. He thinks they live. Both of them, both of them. Like Tom Atkins insists that that uh, <laughs> Atkins and Tom Lee Wallace insist. No, they had to survive because the other option is unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> and we're nihilists. We're like, no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I. You know, it's funny because like this, it probably that that ending. It feels like straight out of John Carpenter's mind at that point, mm-hmm. right? I mean, at the end of the day, like, Carpenter is not one to shy away from a really, not necessarily brutal ending, but nihilistic ending. You have the end, of, sure. ha- you have the end of Halloween where 
the shape is gone and you're revisiting all of these locations from the film. And it's like the shape could be anywhere. Evil can be anywhere at this point. You have the end of the thing where you have one of these two men are going to be some sort of alien, but you don't know who, and it ends in paranoia. You have in the mouth of madness where, you know, the world is going to end. We're trapped in an insane asylum. Prince of darkness. They go through like the ringer. And at the end of the, you find out, all of these messages have been sent from the future and there's nothing they can really do to prevent hell on earth at that point. Like John Carpenter is not, he's not writing for Disney basically. Well, you know what's, what's funny about that is the studios hated the ending so much because of how nihilistic it was. And they said, you need to reshoot it. And Carpenter stepped in and, and told Tom Lee Wallace, like, dude, this is your movie. If you mm-hmm. want to keep that ending, I'll support you a hundred percent. But it was Tom Lee Wallace that made the decision to keep that in there. Mm-hmm. I love so it. So it, it sounds like he is a sadist as well. So <laughs> welcome, welcome to the club, Tommy. Oh. Yay. <laughs> so, oh boy. All right. So coming off the success of Halloween 2, by 1983, where are slasher movies at this point? Are we at the end of this cycle overall, would you say? No. I mean, they we still have. They never went away, man. No. Yeah, right? No, Not but even... We even still had Friday Thirteenth going strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude. I mean, what three, fours coming up at this point? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't think we saw the kind of backlash. Well, not. I mean, it's always been there's been a backlash on slasher movies. But as far as like horror fans and stuff, I, I still think it was alive and kicking at this point, which mm-hmm. makes sense that there's so much gore in Halloween three. And I think sometimes people forget that that I think Halloween three might be the goriest of the series. You know, until Rob Zombie took over and. Did his thing. Did his thing. But I think we don't have, like, when you look at 1981, you have, like, The Prowler, My Bloody Valentine, Halloween 2, Friday the 13th Part 2. You're, like, getting these really uh, happy birthday to me. You're getting these really, like, classic ones. Aside from, say, like, Sleepaway Camp, I can't think of, like, a big – in Friday the 13th Part 3 – I can't think of like a really big slasher movie from that year. Mm. It feels like I, the they're around. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, they're still around, but I don't think you have that like the churning and burning of like slashers like you had at that point. I think yeah, there I was think for, Slumber Party Massacre that year in pieces. What I think so. Uh, yeah, that. Look it up. Uh, I think Bava had a Blade in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, we had stuff like Christine or Cujo or Deadly Spawn or things like mm-hmm. that. So, I mean, yeah, you definitely have a point. Because this is, I guess, my larger point is like now the Halloween, for the first time, the Halloween series is moving away. Like, this is not, a, even though it's very violent, it's not a slasher movie, right? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Say. No, no, no. What would you even call it? There's like sci fi elements, there's. Fucking folklore horror. There's. I uh, think it should fall into a... that subgenre of perfection. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> maybe a little bit of a romantic comedy. With... Yes. <laughs> oh um, my god! Did you guys, you know, the leads were 24 years apart. Oh, I believe that. That, that makes me so uncomfortable. No, I looked it up last night because mm-hmm. uh, I rewatched the film because I had to. Mm-hmm. That came out yesterday. It was 37 years ago. So mm-hmm. happy yeah. birthday to Halloween three. So yeah. well, what, I think What's Tom Atkins was born at 40 years old. It's true. It's What's true. funny is Tom Atkins. You know Daniel Chalice, the character. He's such a womanizer. But what I would have always found funny is Tom Atkins' wife at the time was in the movie. Like, he yeah. Was, 
he was married to Garn Stevens that played Marge. Right. So I couldn't I couldn't imagine being in a movie and your spouse is just like the complete like biggest like you know ladies man and you're just like yeah uh, I guess you know. Hey, if you cast, you get cast. You get cast. You gotta take the right. work, you know. Maybe, maybe her getting a role was the uh, sort of uh, like a consolation prize. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't so, know. Yeah, I would say like category wise, you could put this under like sci-fi horror or maybe even like psycho. Like this to me is like a psychological thriller in a lot of ways because it deals with identity and it deals with not knowing who you can trust overall. Um, but there's like a sci-fi and fantasy element to it that's you know largely absent. Well, it's absent in every other horror movie, uh, Halloween I, movie. I love horror that is like built on paranoia, mm-hmm. you know. And I think Halloween three is such a just classic example of that. You know, like you don't like you said, you don't know if the you know it, you don't know who is themselves. You don't know who's the robot. You know, you don't know any of that stuff. And the movie doesn't really walk you through it you know it doesn't give you answers i mean to this day we still don't know if ellie was a robot the whole time Mm -hmm. you know like i I love that halloween 3 never feels the need to answer every single thing for its audience it lets it be its own thing i agree with you there it's nice not to know all the answers because if you do like why you wouldn't stop thinking about it otherwise you know you would be placated and you would move on and it wouldn't be as impactful Right. I think that that's one of my biggest issues, like we said in the last episode with Halloween, too. I don't want to know why Michael Myers is doing that stuff, right. you know? And I kind of like that that element of Halloween 3 to where, like, I mean, the, as, even as a kid, my whole uh, reasoning for it was like, man, they're just dicks. You know, they just, <laughs> just want to play tricks on kids. And that's yeah, kind of- totally. You know, and you don't get an answer to the question, why now? Because the Silver Shamrock Company wasn't like a first year company that came out of the blue. Like right. they had been making costumes and masks and they had like really, they, they basically set up their own town with Santa Mira. Why now of all times, you know, and I don't, you never get an answer to that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's it's something true. really devious about that. Like, <laughs> you know, And I think that if this movie was a standalone movie that was successful on its own, and sort of like launched a franchise in and of itself, you would have like a prequel explaining like why those masks were chosen. You know, like maybe Cochran would have walked in and his mother would have like dumped acid on her face and she he was right. left seeing a grinning skull or something. You would get something <laughs> like ridiculous like that. But you do have all those questions like, you know, like you can kind of understand why the children, but like what took so long to get this plan in motion? Right. Well, I yeah. think as as any parent could uh, agree with, sometimes you know you just get to the point where you want to kill your children, and totally. there's no, <laughs> you know, maybe it was just time that they were just like, you know what, the bastards have gone too far. Have, to <laughs> <laughs> have you guys, if either of you read the novelization? No, no, that is like the Halloween novelizations to me. Like that is my like just Moby Dick. I cannot find any of them, and I refuse to read like digital copies. So sure. I have. I have, so, I have Halloween it? three, but I have not read it yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm I'm I, sort of like I was psyched out I, about it. Like I don't know. Like, do I want to know? Searching. I was researching the book, and it says that they kind of hint that uh, Cochran lives at the end of the novelization. Well, like, it sort of seemed that way in the movie where he just disappeared. He's grinning yes, and waving goodbye. Like, mm-hmm. see you Stonehenge, later, bro. Basically, they say that Stonehenge kind of transports him to somewhere else. Yeah. 
I mean, that would make sense, I guess. Well, you could see him, um, I guess, you could see him maybe not as a human, but as a trickster. You know, maybe he's like a Loki-type character that he's going to set up shop somewhere else if this plan doesn't work. That yeah. would make sense too. Yeah. So but it that's... did work. But it did work. Sorry, but Tom it man. did. It Sorry. Worked. In our are... minds, it worked. Yeah. There are no more children overall. Bye. I think when it comes to like the production itself, one thing that is really important to address is that, like Halloween two, Halloween three, in a lot of ways, was that kind of family affair. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the creative team came back. You know, Tom Lee Wallace was heavily involved in the first two films behind the scenes. Right. You know, he came to direct, you know, Carpenter, Deborah Hill producing, you know, Tom Atkins had, you know, been part of Carpenter's crew for a while. And also mm-hmm. it's cool. Like I said, Tom Atkins brought his wife, Garn Stevens, into it. I mean, Nancy Loomis or Nancy mm-hmm. Keys came back. Mm-hmm. She was married to Tommy Lee Wallace at the time. Right. Like it, I think it's Halloween three is the last Halloween film that was very much a family affair. I mean, yeah. it could be argued that it was a family affair from four on as well. But to be honest, that family is 100% just the Akkads from here on out. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is the last Halloween film where it's basically the same creative crew from the first two films. Mm-hmm. And Dean Cundy is back. Like he's your, uh, mm-hmm. your DP in this as well. So even though it's a much different film from Halloween one and two, it still retains that same look right down to the opening credits having like the pumpkin opening over the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Although you have like that digital pumpkin now with those cutting edge ColecoVision graphics at the beginning <laughs> of the movie, which were like probably bleeding edge at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was definitely the lawnmower man of its time. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> Jeez. It's better. Come on. So much better. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I, I agree. And I, I just, you know, I'll probably end up saying this so many times through this episode, but I, God, I just love this movie. <laughs> I do too. It's so it's crazy so and weird. Great. And I, what, there's so many things to love. And a lot of what I love about it are things that I should shake my head at. <laughs> you know, like, Tom Atkins is, we say this almost every episode for a different character, but Tom Atkins, Daniel Chalice character is the worst doctor around. Yeah. Like, what is he, what is he a doctor of? Drinking. Kind of, right? Dude, he's a doctor of love. That's what he's a doctor of. <laughs> it's yeah. like that, and he sees the man die. You know, Ellie comes wondering about her dad. And how does Tom Lee Wallace's character react? He just grabs a six pack and goes on yeah. a roach. Like, I mean, you might as well, right? Yeah. That, that is. That, that scene just I, 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 I'm not 100% convinced this actually isn't a documentary <laughs> they just were like following Tom Atkins around for a week and like this is a week in the life of Tom Atkins um, that same uh, yeah that same article that I wrote for Scream uh, he was talking about seeing Halloween for the first time and he said this in many interviews too so it's not new stuff but he said that he saw the first Halloween in a, in a industry screening uh, because he was friends with Adrian Barbeau, who was dating Carpenter at the time, and he mm-hmm. wanted to, they all wanted to make sure that Carpenter was an okay guy for their bud, Adrian. Mm-hmm. So Tom, Tom Atkins brought two women with him Jeez. and would play tricks on them and tell them, no, it's okay, nothing's going to happen, on purpose, to where they would jump, and he would be able to like put his arms around both of them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I, I do agree with you, Mike. This might be a documentary. Wow. But, but I it's think... Funny. I even think Tom Atkins forgets kind of important things about Halloween 3 because he's divorced in the film, right? Yes. That's my yes. understanding. Divorced or separated? 
because Tom Atkins, when I talked to him, he was just like, man, I don't get my character. Like he had a he had a great wife and some kids at home. Why would he just run off on them? <laughs> well, I like, think he realized he had a great wife, but now he's gone from her. But yeah, that's and I think that part sums up Tom Tom Atkins' character of uh, Doctor Chalice so well. It's like he's promised that he's going to go take their kids trick or treating and hang out with them, and then he's like on a payphone, like, "Yeah, I can't tell you where I'm going. I don't have a number, and I get this meeting I have to go to. See ya, Hank. Peace out." And then just like throws a six pack under his arm and jogs out to his car. Like, you know, now that you say that, I think I know why I like this movie. Like, it is about <laughs> my dad. Oh. oh my god Jesus! Shit. I think it's about my dad too oh. Fuck Oh my dad is who, who dead Who also has a mustache yeah. to this day right. oh. Whom I also don't speak to anymore But yes oh my god you guys So we're going to open up the therapy couch Right yes. now and we're going to talk about daddy issues <laughs> The doctor is now in Let's do it Oh, oh man. No. you know that Tom Atkins is called Daddy by pretty much every lady he's ever been with. Like, no, you're gonna call me Daddy. You no, know that he doesn't. Too. He doesn't do that. I've met him a couple of times. He's mm-hmm. super oh, fucking he's nice. So nice. He yeah. told me how to make fluffy pancakes for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm serious. Oh man, I will cast him one way or another. You get oh, him and still have him. It will happen. Yeah, yeah, he's he is. I mean, does he's a? I mean, on par with a Bruce Campbell. Just a you know a, a Sid Haig who's unfortunately no longer he's a, a beloved genre legend for so many reasons and rightfully so I mean his movies are so great but I mean like Izzy said he's just awesome in person as mm-hmm. well like yeah. when when I talked to him he was just like okay Jerry I gotta hurry and do this I'm gonna get on a plane to go film the third Collector movie but mm-hmm. you know let's hurry let's get this done I'm excited and it's mm-hmm. just like yeah he's great you know, anyone that does interviews and stuff you I mean I can agree that sometimes there's people that you really dig their work. And it's mm-hmm. not a good experience. Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll probably get a lot of shit, but, you know, I, I, I believe in putting things on Front Street. Both times I've sat down with Eli Roth has been two of the most miserable experiences of my life. <laughs> oh, did he get on was... your wife the whole time in front of you? Like, oh, did he... You know, uh, I wouldn't have minded now because I'm divorced from that person at that time. Oh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, like I sat down with him quickly, really quickly. I sat down with him and Famke Jensen for the Hemlock Grove press uh, mm-hmm. junket. And Famke Jansen was so incredibly nice. And Eli Roth sized me up from the moment I sat down. Like, it was just the most awkward thing ever. But, you know, I digress. Tom Atkins, though, I mean, he is just the real thing. You know, he cares about his fans. He cares about people that love his work. And he cares about doing good work. And that's why I think it shows in movies like this or Night of the Creeps or The Fog or many others. He's the greatest. He just has a genuinely good time. And, you know, he just... He's like, you know, happy grandpa. He's, he's yeah. I can't, yeah. He's he's one of the greatest fucking people actor-wise, you know, that I've met in genre. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting, too, about his performance here, because it's always dangerous to go, well, not dangerous, like you're not going to get, like, an electrical shock or anything, but it can be <laughs> complicated to go and look at, like, old art, art through a modern lens because I think they're a character like Dr. Chalice. Now you would approach from like the me too lens and look at like how he potentially treats people around him and treats women and womanizing and say like, this is a scumbag character, but a Dr. Chalice never feels like a scumbag. He, <laughs> he, you know what I mean? Like he's a, he's just portrayed as like this, like, Oh, I'm just torn into this. Like, I'm <laughs> da, da, da. you know, it's not it's not like a like a, a like a dopey thing, but he's just like right. any way the wind blows, you know, to quote Queen. Um, mm-hmm. 
which is why you know he's no longer his wife doesn't put up with that anymore so with with the seduction scene with him and ellie he's like you know like all right i can go sleep in the car and and she kind of comes on to him well where do you want to sleep next time next time you see that though Mm -hmm. i i will say this in in uh, defense of against Chalice. Next time you see that, when he says about sleeping in the car, look at his eyes. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, uh, I'm just going to be honest. All of us men have done this at some point of our lives, unfortunately. You know, like, oh, do you want me to take the floor? You know, goddamn well you're not taking the floor. You're trying to get out Exactly. Do you feel <laughs> like if if Ellie okay, so based on what we know about his character, if Ellie had said, "Yeah, why don't you take the floor?" <laughs> do you think that he would have been like, "Well, no, I'd actually." The floor, do you think he would have crawled up in with her at that point, or do you no, think he no, would have? I think it would have cut to a scene with him in the car with mm-hmm. a six pack saying, "God damn it, damn it, struck out." But every, I've always said been. that it would have been funny that mm-hmm. if the movie just ended with him grabbing that six pack and running. <laughs> That'd but, be pretty hilarious. You know, he has that relationship with, is it Marge, the other nurse in the movie that gets the drill through the head? Oh, no, uh, that's Teddy. Teddy. Yeah, okay. Teddy. So, in Teddy, you know, she has the best role in the movie because she never has to leave that room. Like, she did all of her scenes in, like, one afternoon. Because she you know never leaves that little office. What's funny is that character was added in reshots. <laughs> Originally, when they first filmed it, like, that character was just on the phone, you know, when he would call. And then after a while, like when they watched it, they were like, okay, who is this person? Mm-hmm. So they added that, I mean, after the fact. And I think that's really great because that's actually w- one of my favorite characters in the film, I think. Well, yeah. It's the only, you know, you know, uh, I want to say not just this movie, but uh, a lot of early 80s films and, and going back, like this, this is a woman, this is a character who has agency. Mm-hmm. She's not there to be ogled she's not there to you know uh be slashed she she has a real job she's smarter job mm-hmm. of course she's flirting with dr Charles because that's his main role in life is to mm-hmm. flirt and well, you know drink but yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's it's refreshing to see that in a film like this where if, if you're talking about looking back with a me too lens and honestly it's any lens because films now are just different because mm-hmm. our society has evolved thankfully at least to some extent not mm-hmm. all but some extent um, yeah, it was nice to see that. It was refreshing. Right. Well, even with uh, Linda Chalice, I, I've always thought it was kind of a bummer that she is definitely portrayed as kind of like the nagging type. Mm-hmm. When it's just like, if you really think about Chalice, I mean, this guy's a womanizer. I mean, he, yeah. probably, he probably cheated on that woman every other day. You know, why wouldn't she be kind of pissed and jaded about that stuff? Yeah. Well, I think the chalices were probably at the same key party that the parents from Halloween were at. Well, we talk about the whole town being at a giant <laughs> orgy, and that's why there are no parents around. You know, I think the chal- yeah. I, I think you know Dan Chalice was dragging Linda to that same like key party orgy to be quite, and she was like, "I don't want any part of this lifestyle." Do um, either of you, uh, do either of you follow those parody Halloween accounts on Twitter? With Sheriff no. Brackett, yeah. There's Sheriff so. Brackett. There's all of them. My favorite part of they're they're awful, but in the best way because they they're so like invested into keeping these characters going every single day on Twitter. Uh, my favorite one is Sheriff Brackett is pissed off that his ex-wife is now married to Doctor Chalice. <laughs> so basically, Linda Chalice is the former Mrs. Brackett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. 
Oh, it's, but, it's awful. But, but it's getting back to the character of Teddy, and I think Izzy, you hit it right in the head, like, she has agency, and mm-hmm. it's obvious that, like, her and Dan have some sort of sexual relationship. Like, that's pretty apparent. But she can give as good as she gets in that relationship. Like, she's no wallflower just, like, waiting by the phone for him to call. She's like, look, I'll call you when I want some, and you can call me when you want some, but we're also going to treat each other professionally and with respect when we're in this room. And there's a real warmth there in the few scenes that, that um, excuse me, that Westberg and Atkins share together. There's a real warmth and mutual respect there. And I think that if we saw that filmed through a different lens, like in a modern lens, I think that there would be a lot more leering. It would be a lot more of a difference in power dynamic overall. Um, I think the character of Teddy might be the same age as the character of Ellie at that point. There wouldn't be like a woman in her late 30s, early 40s in that role. It would be like someone just coming out of college. Um, so you have, I think, I think some real thought going into one of the smaller characters in the movie, but still has a real thought behind it. Well, then she gets killed 100% because of <laughs> Daniel Chalice. Right. Like that just guy brings out. Yeah, I mean, the kids would have died, and, you know, that, that goes without saying, and that's whatever. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but Chalice adds so many other, like, bodies to the body count because mm-hmm. of just, you know, like, putting his nose where it doesn't belong. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to save the world. Mm-hmm. What right? a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like... I don't know. I I think that there's, you know, this movie would not work nearly as well as it did if someone besides Tom Atkins had this role. There's like that everyman quality about him that really makes it, I think, work overall. And really, like, I think part of the reason for the affection of this movie. I do think it's interesting that, you know, Nancy Loomis, who just like five four or five years ago before this movie was playing a high school senior is all of a sudden like a married woman in her thirties with two, (laughs) a 10 and a nine year old. Like that was kind of jarring to see that. It's bizarre Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because I mean, as a kid, I was just fascinated with any connection, you know, Mm -hmm. whether, whether it made sense or not. So, I mean, even as a child, I thought it was the coolest thing to see these kind of Mm -hmm. recurring actors and things. And I think that that's a big reason why I was so just latched on to the films of John Carpenter, because it was fun, kind of like Scorsese now or, you know, other directors. It was fun to see the same people in so many different things. I mean, you even have like Jamie Lee returning, I mean, just for like a voice role. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how many Carpenter movies was she in, you know? Right. All of them. Basically. Yeah. That's what it felt like anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. I would agree. Um, so I think it's impossible not to talk about this movie and not talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. which you sure. get the you get the name of the town, Santa Mira, taken directly from this movie. Um, Deborah Hill has said when to, when discussing Halloween three and promoting it, she said, This isn't a knife movie, it's a pod movie. Um, meaning that this is very much about losing one's identity, getting submerged, and you know, not really being able to be yourself at that point. So even though this movie's not, say, a direct remake of Invasion of the Bobby Sna- Body Snatchers like the nineteen seventies version with Donald Sutherland is 
its fingerprints is all over this movie from the town from that like jerry you had mentioned that feeling of paranoia that really pervades this movie to mm-hmm. not knowing who you can trust what is real and what what isn't real um that is all over this oh no i yeah definitely i i think that the inspiration from uh body snatchers and you know seagull's movie in general i i think it's very heavy in this one and i i think that it comes off more as an inspiration and less uh, lifting from it, you mm-hmm. know, especially like, you know, this day and age, every movie wants to be an 80s slasher movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, they put it they put a filter on it and they try to make it, you know what I mean? Like they and it, it loses the magic, whereas Halloween three, uh, it's love for Don uh, for the Seagulls movie and it's love for just body snatchers in general. I think it it's very genuine and it's very pure, and I think that that's one of the many things that just makes it such a charming but mean spirited movie. <laughs> I can hear my daughter in the background cackling, maniacal laughter. I don't she know brings. if that is coming through on yeah. the show. It's because so, she's watching the Silver Shamrock broadcast. Oh, right. my God. Bye. I think, I think she's <laughs> watching some video about baby sharks or there's one kind of, I don't know, but she's watching some weird shit on YouTube right now as far as I know. So <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. So I'm sorry, Izzy. I, you seem like you, before my daughter interrupted with her horrible, the horrible sound of children's laughter filling the house, um, you were starting to talk about like the, um, you know, that the influence of body snatchers on this as well. Um, I mean, yeah, it's undeniable for sure. Um, I, I wonder if that was there in the original script or if it only came through in, in Tommy Lee Wallace's pass. Um, I think didn't John Carpenter do a pass as well? He did. It would, it would make sense if he was the one that to put that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, especially yeah, with his nihilistic tendencies yeah. here. That and but, I mean, I think Carpenter's influences kind of run rampant to through, towards. I mean, through all of his films, you know, his his just love for Howard Hawks is in Assault and Precinct Thirteen. You know, I, I think his love for a lot of European films are, is kind of obvious in Halloween. You know, so I could totally see Carpenter coming up with this stuff too. He's really good at I think homaging things he loves without it seeing seeming forced hmm. yeah absolutely yeah and wallace definitely you know car carpenter's fingerprints are all over this movie in terms of the score and i think kind of having a feel for like the look of the film overall like wallace did not like neil's script for the movie and he did a rewrite of it and wallace hated the script that carpenter turned in and it's funny because this is the second time that like wallace looked at something carpenter did and just wasn't a fan of it like he originally passed on directing halloween 2 because he felt like the script carpenter turned in was kind of blah and he just really didn't feel like it was something he wanted to get involved in and then he looked at what carpenter's rewrites added to halloween 3 and said eh, i have to go over this now as well because he just wasn't a fan of what carpenter kind of added and there's really not a lot of detail in terms of like who is responsible for what overall Mm -hmm. but i think that just kind of like based on the idea of this real you know what whilst directing the movie and what we got as an end result i think that you can say that wallace is really responsible for this really being a homage to like siegel's film yeah i I think what there was a recent fan-made poster for halloween 3 
and it basically uh, was Season of the Witch, you know, minus the Halloween three thing, you know, because everyone's everyone has always said, you know, myself included, that if it was just called Season of the Witch, it probably would have found its audience more. But the thing that bothered me about this fan made poster, as amazing as it looked, is it said John Carpenter's Halloween three. Mm-hmm. And while dude, while Carpenter is God, as far as I'm concerned, and obviously he had such a, a huge hand in Halloween three. I think a lot of people fail to remember that it's Tommy Lee Wallace's movie. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I mean, just from like talking to Atkins or other actors for the Halloween three piece I did, like Tommy Lee Wallace was very hands on with his actors. Mm-hmm. You know, Carpenter was more involved with kind of like the effects and magic and like, you know, cinematography stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was where his, uh, you know, desire was. But Tommy Wallace was so hands on with the actors. He knew exactly what he wanted. He knew exactly how to get it. And it's very much his film. Yeah. And I don't think this is like a poltergeist situation where you have like who did this Spielberg or um, Toby Hooper. Like, no, this is a Wallace film. Um, but when sometimes when you're in the shadow of someone like such a, a giant like John Carpenter, it does become easy to forget, you know, who is responsible for what, even when it's someone under that troop that doesn't necessarily mean it's from John Carpenter. Uh, but it's just easy to get kind of lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and, agree 100%. And Wallace has gone on to have like a really good career of his own. I mean, he did Fright Night 2, which is a... Mm-hmm awesome movie it's just an underrated movie he's responsible for it you know the television version which is probably one of the most beloved adaptations of a stephen king property of all time and you know given the limitations at the time um he churned out something really memorable so it's not like tommy lee wallace is just this hack you know definitely yeah i mean i'm not calling rick rosenthal a hack but he's no rick rosenthal you know (laughs) well just kidding not everybody can get, you know, Busta Rhymes to right. give some. No, I mean, I'm going to get hate mail from uh, Rick Rosenthal's wife now. Yeah. Him and Adam Marcus, his wife, are going to write Jesus, us. Jesus, they hate me. Uh, yeah, but, uh, so, Jerry, your job is to get every filmmaker's wife to just absolutely hate on our show. I think I'm already there, to be honest. What if, what if the filmmaker is a woman? Do you get my husband to hate on you? Well, she could be married to a woman. What are we? Impl- Why are we being so heteronormative? Why are you gonna, you know, right. avoid the question? Ah, uh, <laughs> you're answering, a, que- you out, bro. You're answering out. a question with a question. Right I, you know, I, I think everyone's gonna get mad at me at some point if they hadn't already. Mm-hmm. Like we could just we could just mention Death Wave and it'll start yeah. again. Death well, to Izzy's to Izzy's point though, let's take a look. Like aside from when you look at because we cover all franchises, so you have Nightmare on Elm Street. Where you have uh, Rachel Talalay doing Freddy's Dead, yeah, yeah. We, we could do American Psycho one and two, even though it's only two entries. You have Mary Heron, you have Barry Lambert with Pet Cemetery one and two. Oh yeah, but yes. you know, like, and it's a real shitty thing. Like, we don't have enough movies that have been helmed by women that really get to do franchises. Like, they don't get the same opportunities as men do, and I think that's really shitty. Well, I think also when it comes to like our podcast in general, and I'm not saying this to pat our, you know, pat us on the back, you know, because it should be this way. But I think that was one of the first conversations you and I had, Mike, about this thing. We don't want to just be another podcast with two white guys telling, you know, our side of everything, you know, like I'd I'd like to have more female guests than male Mm -hmm. guests. You know what I mean? Because like I only know what it's like and have a perspective for myself. 
mm-hmm. know, and I, I do think it's such a travesty that we don't have more female filmmakers. I mean, I would kill to do an episode on Karen Kusama's work, you know, because I think The Invitation and Destroyer are two of the best films ever made, mm-hmm. you know, but when it comes to franchises, like you said, I mean, we have very little to do, you know, and I, I think it sucks. It's because it does. Yeah. And as I want to get, yeah, and I want to get more of Izzy's perspective on that right now, because, you know, I think when you, because what's interesting to me is a lot of these movies and Halloween three, maybe is not the best example of it, but you have these really strong, iconic female characters, but they're always written from a men's man's perspective and they're always filmed from a man's perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're given very masculine traits overall, um, and not to say that traits can't be universal, but I mean, in general, you have these characters that are filmed very much from the lens of us overall, and they don't, you never get that other side and you never get that other perspective. Yeah, well, that's the history of cinema, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, back when cinema started in, in this country and um, you know, even in Paris, uh, women were at the forefront and gradually got pushed out and buried um, and there's only a couple of specific names that people even know. And mm-hmm. that's not even until like fucking Ida Lupino in the 50s, you mm-hmm. know, she started out as an actor and became a director and a very, very successful one of that. Um, but yeah, you have like Alice Guy Blanche in, and, and I wish I knew more names myself. Mm-hmm. But the fact is they've been erased by men throughout history because, mm-hmm. you know, dudes are more important. So um, we, we have right now, thankfully a bit of a, um, a spotlight on, on women directors and women genre directors in particular, which I'm very, very grateful to see happening and, you know, in, in, you know, my own small way, be part of. And, um, if you go to the theater, you're going to see, you know, if you go going to a horror movie, you're going to see at least half that audience be women. And in most mm-hmm. cases, women do buy like 60, 70% of the tickets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because to be a woman growing up in the society is to experience horror firsthand all the fucking time. Whether you're being ogled on the street um, as a young girl by strangers or even anyone in your family. Whether you're being actively oppressed at work. Whether you're being paid less whether your body is doing something totally fucking insane that you hate and you have no control over. Um, all, all, all of this is horror to me. And it, it makes total sense why there are many, many women horror directors, mm-hmm. authors, uh, programmers, and you know filmmakers. But we, we still don't get financed and um, pushed to the forefront the way men do because guys like to see themselves um they like to raise up you know male proteges they like to fund male uh films and us not so much we've got a we've got a much higher bar so Mm -hmm. the fight is still going so any any male allies that want to support us we are grateful and uh yeah here we are and izzy this is something you and i have talked about throughout the years you know many times off air um and jerry Mm -hmm. you and i have talked about this on the show but to me horror and just storytelling in general is more interesting when you get perspectives outside of the one that you grew up on like it's you know if you see the same character if you see a character that looks just like you or sounds just like you all the time after a while that gets really boring um so when you get to see 
especially in horror, what is it that scares other people? What is it that we're terrified of overall? You know, the things that terrify Jerry and I are going to be different from what terrifies a person that doesn't look like me, that doesn't have the same gender as me, that doesn't have the same sexuality as me, that's from a different economic status. Like all of these things not only make for more interesting storytelling, but also help create a lot more empathy in the world because you can start to learn about perspectives that exist outside your own. Well, I've, I've found, uh, yeah, definitely. I've found, uh, to be honest, that a lot of female written films uh, kind of hit me in more of an emotional way than, than Mel. I mean, it's, it's Deborah Hill's writing of the original Halloween, those characters that, you know what I mean? Like I, I identify with Laurie Strode more than any character ever written. You know, and that's that's a Deborah Hill thing. You know, one of my favorite, not just horror films, but films of the last ten years, is a film uh, by Lee Janiak, uh, Honeymoon. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think that that is one of the best written horror films of all time. Like I could watch Honeymoon twenty four seven because it it hits me in a way that a lot of other filmmakers don't. You know, there's there's films like that or Raw. You know what I mean? Like these mm. are films that I mean. I might not be female, but I, I feel like, to be honest, I just feel like female like writers are better. And, you know, I, I'm sure that some, you know, bros are going to be pissed about that. But, you know, that's just how it is. Well, you again, know? for the most I, part, they have to be. Mm-hmm. They yeah. have to be to get anywhere. Right. You have to be better by a factor of four, it seems like, you then in order to get, like, not even the same opportunity, but just an opportunity, it often yeah. feels like. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's an emotional honesty, I think, that uh, female filmmakers aren't afraid to tap into that I think a lot of their male counterparts are. You know, I think mm-hmm. from an early age, men are taught, unfortunately, to hold our emotions and our right. struggles inside, whereas... Uh, you know, I, I, I've always found it so courageous that, that female filmmakers kind of, they don't seem to have that. They're honest, you know, and, and to be honest, even outside of that, some of the work is just much, much better. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think it's a huge disservice to filmmaking and horror in general that we don't see more of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, two of the best horror movies of the past decade, you have Jennifer Kent's The Babadook, because uh, I love approaching horror from the perspective of mental health. I mean, that's the industry I'm in. It's, you know, what I've devoted my life to kind of helping people out. And I think it's one of the best examinations of depression and the crippling effects of like major depressive order and what that can do. And then using like narrative therapy as a technique to heal from that. Uh, Karen Kasama's The Invitation mm. is such a moving and stirring view of like, the grieving process and how do we cope with loss and grief. And I've worked with parents that have lost their children. And there is like, you're almost grieving two different losses. You're grieving the loss of the actual child, but you're also grieving the loss of the person that will never get to be. And I think that that look is such a beautiful, stirring look. And I don't know that. I don't know who else would be capable of coming up with something that vulnerable and that honest when you look at both of those movies? Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's so, you know, 
I, I, I hate I hate to go on and on, but like the patriarchy does indeed damage both sexes, and I think people are waking up to that. You know, I I want the men in my life to show emotion. I want them mm-hmm. to be vulnerable. I want them to trust me. I want them to talk to me. But I also want them to connect with other men, and that's that's a, a huge damaging um, thing. And men can't talk to each other, and they can't mm-hmm. connect. And there's a, such a, I, you would know more than me, Mike, but there's such a high rate of suicide and it's, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is fucking heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, and make no mistake there, there are male directed and, and male written um, masterpieces out there. I, I, one of them I've just seen three times this year. It's called Daniel isn't real by my friend, Adam mm-hmm. Mortimer. Oh. It, it is Jesus. Christ, I love that film deeply. Um, he's, he's one of my favorite directors working today. Adam is such a great guy in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I shout about it to anyone who will listen because I love that film so much. And he's become a really good friend. And um, I think he's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, if anyone's looking to explore themes of suicidal ideation, mm-hmm. nihilism, empathy, you know, art versus like tortured artists versus like how how much of, of yourself do you give away as a tortured artist um and and versus happiness like it's just it's it's blown me away so yeah keep that in mind you guys if you're looking for a really interesting yeah. uh, horror film about mental health yep we just screened that one out at tell you right horror show a couple weeks ago and that i would say among a couple others was one of the biggest hits of the festival in terms of like what people were looking forward to seeing because it's gotten such strong buzz from other festivals, but people walking out of it were like, yep, the hype and the praise that this movie has earned is real. Um, So I think December 6th is when that will be in some theaters and video video on demand. So it's something I would strongly recommend everybody to check out. That makes me incredibly happy because I, I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But, I mean, I, I've been a huge fan of his since uh, Some Kind of Hate, mm-hmm. you know, his, his first film. And even his music videos for Against Me, which is one of my favorite bands. Uh, you know, and I, I felt like Some Kind of Hate had this, like, it really tapped into that kind of male aggression and anger that, yeah. that we feel a lot of times, you know. So, I mean, I'm excited as hell to watch that one. Yeah, you'll also like the part because uh, he also goes into talk talk. I can't talk toxic masculinity and consent mm-hmm. and um, Jesus I I've, I'm just so fucking happy and proud of that guy you know so I, I just want to steer it back a little bit towards Halloween three only because, <laughs> I, because I have to cook dinner for the family in a little bit and um, if I don't start cooking uh, they'll throw frozen meatballs at my head which is not good so um, <laughs> But you know, I, I you know now we're going to go from talk, really serious talk, which I think is important, and we should have more discussions like that, to you know a movie about a kid with snakes coming out of his mouth. <laughs> so, but um, I know I kind of want to talk a little bit about the effects of this movie because Jerry, you had made the point this might be the most graphic of all the Halloween movies overall. The effects in this are absolutely fantastic. Oh, I mean, you have everything right from the beginning. You have a guy, you know, before you find out he's a robot, you have a dude with gloves mm-hmm. basically putting his hand inside someone's, like, skull and breaking yeah. it. You know, right from, the be- you, right from the beginning, you know that this is something different. This is not Halloween 1 or 2. I mean, you have, you have Marge 
you know, she's fucking around with the little part on the mask, and mm-hmm. it just zaps her, and it just destroys her face. Her face and, like, is oh, fucked my God, up. I know. <laughs> and it's like the lips being burned back, the teeth. Oh. It's so grotesque. Yeah, like, it really is. I've always, when it comes to the Halloween films, there are two movies that I, actually three, that I show my kids to scare them. The first Halloween, because I, to this day, I still think it's the scariest movie I ever made. Halloween 5, because as many warts as that movie has, it's still pretty scary in its stalking. And mm-hmm. Halloween 3, just to fucking gross them out. Like, the <laughs> pumpkin head scene with, yeah. you know, with little buddy, which is, he, that kid is more annoying than Franklin in mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw. No, that is so not true. Oh, no, no, I no. want to strangle. He doesn't. He doesn't even get enough screen time to be as annoying. Yeah. As oh, I cannot stand that kid. Well, what but, about? How would you compare him to Little Bob in House by the Cemetery? You know, I've never <laughs> been that bothered. It's Little Buddy. Little Buddy and Franklin are kind of like my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> See, Buddy's I, only I, in the movie for like three minutes, though. I know. But you know what? We've all come across those kids. Yeah. You know? We we he's only in the film for very a very small amount of time, but we know what kind of fucking kid that is. <laughs> we know him. Every time I pick up my kids from school, there's always a little buddy running around, you know, throwing things, you know, pulling my daughter's hair. Yeah. I know sucks. little I know little buddy. I'm <laughs> I'm glad he's dead. Fuck you, little buddy. <laughs> Wow. Fair enough, man. Strong words. I like it. Strong words. You know, and it's funny because that family, I mean, that family is annoying. Um, you know, and, I, and, and it's almost like the comic relief that you get in um, Last House on the Left with the cops, right? Which is like completely odd. And you have the same thing in Halloween 5 where you have like the bumbling cops and you have like the music but you know, this is just this really like stumble bum family that is super <laughs> annoying. Just like you just I, I could see the family as a whole, you definitely want to strangle. Yeah. But they come to it's it's kind of like the boyfriend in Midsummer. Like the boyfriend in Midsummer, Chris, he sucks. Does he suck to the point where he should be burned alive wearing a bear <laughs> suit? You know, maybe. like should you know yes. maybe but um That's director's cut? I have not no, seen not I don't know if I could take three hours of her streaming. Oh. No, you know no, I mean? no, no. The director's cut, honestly, even if you didn't like the film, I would highly recommend it. It's on iTunes. It, it, you know, any question of did the boyfriend really deserve it, watch the director's cut and you'll say yes. He's a steaming pile of shit. Oh, he wow. Is. There's even more okay. bullshit, huh? Oh, yeah. Hardcore. Right. <laughs> but, I mean, to me, if, like... I want to see like three hours of someone having a screaming mental breakdown. I just have to go to work every day. Oh my god! I'm pretty much like that's my job. You know, I don't know how so, you do it, man. You're special. Uh, hard alcohol. Uh, yeah, so, fair enough. <laughs> hard alcohol. Kittens and hard alcohol, basically, yeah. sometimes at the same time. Um, yes. But it, so, but it. Um, oh, excuse me. Now I lost track of thought because we have a kitten now. That's um, amazing. Yeah, oh, he's little Dusty's amazing. Um, but we, but basically, this family comes to a horrific end, and it's played as a joke uh, at first, and then it becomes like because you don't know, like you have no idea what Cochran's plan is at this point, and it just you had this really brutal. This is what scared the bejesus out of me as a kid, <laughs> and even though like I had not watched this movie for twenty years, this always stuck. With, this is like the scene in the Salem's Lot where. Um, 
the vampire jumps out of the jail jail cell. It's one of the scariest scenes in horror movie history. This kid's face melting and not just melting, but bugs and snakes and cockroaches coming out of this mask. It's fucking greatest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then like in the warehouse, uh, he's got Tom Atkins tied up and they sort of look at him like, look at this. Mm -hmm. I dare you to watch. Yeah, okay, he's got this not really only... devious fucking look on his face. No, like... they're they're having fun making yeah. Chalice watch it. But what I think is another funny thing, and is they also force Chalice to watch John Carpenter's Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I know. And you know, this film was made in 1982, and the funniest thing about the movie isn't Chalice's womanizing, isn't that he needs a six pack to go. Is that on the advertisement for Halloween, inside of Halloween 3, it says the immortal classic. That movie had mm-hmm. been out for like five, four or five years at that mm-hmm. point. Was it really an immortal classic already? Probably. I would say so. I would because it made a shit ton of money by that point, right? You know, mm-hmm. and let's face it, it's advertising. You know, you're not gonna say like, hey, this pretty this good movie. Decent movie that yeah. Jerry. Like, I saw a tweet today, and it was like, hey, it's been six years. Can we say that the Evil Dead remake is one of the best horror movies of all time? And my answer answer to that was like, hard to know on that one. Hard to know. Listen, Miska, no. No, Look, look, it's eight in the morning. I haven't had coffee yet, but I'm going to go hard pass on this one. So I think you can kind of tell. Like, we call Hereditary a classic. It's only two years old, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's amazing, but I, I, mean, I, I think it's probably say so. Yeah, I would say so. Right. Sometimes a movie is just so good, you know that it's a classic, and you know it's achieved that status overall. And I would say the first time. And Jerry, it's your favorite movie of all time. Why am I defending this movie from the guy who it's his favorite movie of all time? What the fuck are we doing? I, I just like being antagonistic. That's yeah. all. Okay. So it's always a mortal classic. And so you know it. Is Michael Myers a worm in this movie? Should we ask? Oh <laughs> my god! Sorry, um, Marcus. One, one of the snakes. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, this is a movie like you did take Michael Myers out of this movie, <laughs> but it's not necessarily a coming of age movie. No, it's just, not at all. Jesus, no. I'll never live that down. No, we'll have to fit no, that. But in. I, I do think it's funny that Halloween three exists in a world where the original Halloween exists as well. Mm-hmm. You know, because, I mean, it's in Halloween 3, I think, two or three times when Chalice is drinking at the bar. I mean, which can mean a lot of things, because when isn't Chalice drinking in this movie? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, their advertisement for Halloween. They're torturing him by making him watch Halloween. Like That's one of my favorite scenes, because when they switch channels, he asks the bartender's channel, he goes, the guy says, what's the matter? Don't you have any Halloween spirit? And he goes, No! Like, <laughs> really pronounced like man yeah. like a bah humbug thing you know yeah it's super I funny could, i could totally see though like why carpenter and company would want to do halloween 3 after halloween 2 i mean right from the beginning carpenter was very outspoken about not being a fan of halloween 2 i mean even though he wrote it you know like there's interviews from when the movie first came out and he was just slamming it it was not a good mm-hmm. experience and so this kind of gamble of doing this kind of you know, new Halloween film every year kind of thing. You know, it didn't pay off at the box office, but I do think it's such a bold choice. And especially given us like such a, I mean, we've all used the word nihilistic so many times in this episode (laughs) and with good reason, because it is, it's a very bleak movie, but it's also, 
it's one of the only like very bleak negative kind of movies that just brings me a smile like it's <laughs> it's fun to watch yeah, you know it like it's a blast of a film so let's talk about the legacy of this movie um, I think that's a good jumping off point right there. When this movie comes out, it tanks. It is made for about the same amount of money as Halloween 2, about $2.5 million, but it pulls in a lot less. It pulls in less than $15 million worldwide. Um, and it sinks the idea of this... It sinks the idea of like Halloween becoming an anthology series. Um what was it that made audiences hate this movie so much at its time? They just wanted more Michael Myers because it was already mm-hmm. set up as a franchise at that point with the sequel. Mm-hmm. I think if they had probably gone directly to Season of the Witch instead of two, may not have happened in mm-hmm. you know the vitriol. So, but who can stay? I mean, I like the idea of the anthology instead of more slasher films that are formulaic for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, do you guys know if uh, they had other stories developed for the anthology aspect with different stories and characters? I I've, don't know. I've never come across anything that says that. And I, mm-hmm. it wouldn't shock me if they had this kind of gesticulating for a long time. But, you know, Yablins and Assad wanted to do Halloween 2 before they would even come close. Because I think we all know, like, Halloween 2, as fun as it is it's running on fumes. Like there really were no ideas for it at this point. So I don't know of anything where they have had like, here's like three other ideas we have. Let's pick our best one and then make the other two later. I think the biggest bummer about Halloween three, other than it just didn't do well is, and you know, this might come off like I'm talking shit about Halloween four and I'm, I'm not because I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I love it as a, it's an entertaining film, like, I love it with a passion. I still don't think it's a good Halloween sequel. Mm-hmm. And so what, what happened was Halloween 3 bombed horribly. So they went back to, like, well, we have to give them Michael Myers. But what they did is they kind of assumed their audience that was just filled with idiots. Mm-hmm. You know, out of nowhere, we get Michael Myers. He's okay after being burnt to crisp. <laughs> he got shot in the eyes twice. He got poked in the eye. His eye poked out basically in the first film. And they were expected to basically just get on board with the dude that wakes up 10 years later. His muscles don't have, like, atrophy or anything, you know? And he has, like, superhuman strength. And he's Superman and all of a sudden. Basically, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it was such a slap to the face to, I think, Carpenter. And like I said, I love Halloween 4, and I like Halloween 5 a lot, too. As mo- as horror films, as sequels to Halloween, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Halloween three, as much as it differed from the first two films, I do feel like it's one of the best sequels because it has that it has that Halloween spirit, you know, in spades. Do you think that this movie would have been more successful in an age because as he, to your point, people were expecting Michael Myers and didn't mm-hmm. get him aside from him appearing on a television screen in a bar. Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah, do you think this would have been more successful? Cause in an age where you could have been more prepared that there was like film Twitter and film sites and saying like, this is what we have coming up. Like this is, we're moving away from Michael Myers back then you had maybe Fangoria or Starlog, but if you weren't reading those magazines, 
unless you like bought a ticket, you really wouldn't know what you were heading in for when you walked into a movie theater. Right. Um, do you, are you asking if they had better PR? Yeah. To set people up like, for expectations? Yeah. If you, could have, if you could have set expectations up for the first time this comes out, would you have um, think this movie would be more successful? I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, I think th- being a filmmaker now, you know, having been a, a journalist before as well as a festival programmer, I have recognized that it's hard to make a film. But now, in a filmmaker's shoes, any fucking movie that ever gets made is a miracle. Mm-hmm. It is a miracle. And, like, I don't think that the general populace understands it because you make it look so easy. And if it somehow comes out horribly, it's the fault of the director no matter what. Although it is an entire army of people who work on this thing. And anything can go wrong at any time for any one person. And it, it shows. So to make a good film is like a miracle of miracles. Um, and I think more people need to wake up to that fact. So, you know, I don't, I don't give a damn, you know, it, it's like, like what, what is that meme with Tom and his mustache? Like Tom Atkins doesn't give a fuck what we care about Halloween three. Mm-hmm. Neither do I, you know, well, I love that, that. And I think that unfortunately, uh, studios care a little too much about not the viewers but like outside perspective you know it used to be that a film would get made because they want to make the movie you know and now and now it's about money only exactly and they went they went to back to the uh michael myers with halloween 4 because fans were pissed about three not having them but i remember after halloween h2o came out on the uh official halloween site they basically asked people Okay, we're going to make a sequel. What do you want on it? And it was a poll of Michael Myers, not Michael Myers, mm-hmm. and all of this kind of stuff. Oh, and I feel like when you have a whole committee deciding what your movie is going to be instead That's of chaos. The, exactly. Right. You know what I mean? And I, I feel like the test screenings and those kind of things, I feel like they really defeat the passion and the creativity mm-hmm. in there. I mean, I mean, a lot of people didn't like the newest Hellboy. And I understand why, because you hire someone like Neil Marshall to make a film Mm -hmm. and then you second guess and overstep every single thing he does. Right. You know, and I feel like that's where Halloween and the series lost something great when Mm -hmm. they kind of just stopped listening to Carpenter. I mean, Carpenter and Hill had a really great idea for Halloween four before they decided not to go with it. And Carpenter and Hill basically washed their hands, you know, Mm -hmm. of the franchise. What was the idea? They had this idea, and they got this writer. I forgot who it was. That they w- basically the thing was okay. Halloween three didn't work, so the producers wanted Michael Myers involved. Harp, uh, Carpenter and Hill and this writer had this idea that basically the town of Haddonfield was trying to outlaw Halloween and no talk of Michael Myers what whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And kind of like Wes Craven's new nightmare, the more you try to kind of suffocate something, the stronger it gets. And that is what would bring Michael Myers and his evil back is trying to erase it, you know? And I I think that's interesting. It's not like just some dude that wakes up from a coma and goes after people, you know, with a a big iron, you know, but. Well, did you read about the test screenings for uh, Karen Kusama's Jennifer's body? No, (laughs) dude. Okay. So there's an article floating around because they recently did what, like a 10 year anniversary Mm -hmm. screening at Beyond Fest or something at the Egyptian in Hollywood. Um, 
And so they're basically their entire Q&A is in a Vulture article that's floating around right now. And I shared it earlier or last night, if either of you wants to read it on Facebook, but um, it, oh, Jesus, like it just the most unbelievable test screening where they had an audience of, you know, teenage boys or early 20 something, you know, young adult men and, they just wanted more boobs. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about anything else, and the studio listened to them and marketed it poorly, and basically focused only on the fact that you know Megan Fox is hot. And yeah, the movie didn't do well because it was marketed extremely no. wrongly and misogyny. So here we are. But yeah, you got to read the article. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I think I've just pulled it up here. I might even put a link to it in our, because it's a dark time. Megan Fox and Karen mm-hmm. Kusema revisit the Jennifer bodies backlash. Yeah. Um, so I'll, we'll put a link up to that here in our show notes as well for our reader uh, listeners who want to do a little bit of reading. And I'm going to bookmark that so I can look at that in a bit. Um, so when for Halloween three, when did the, um, when did the, viewing view of it turn around it feels like in the past 10 years mm-hmm. halloween 3 has gone from being like a reviled movie a franchise killer to like oh it's underrated to mm-hmm. one where a lot of people rank it um just behind that absolute piece of garbage john <laughs> carpenter's again i kid what I what kid. piece of garbage you're yes. about halloween 2 no halloween 1 so oh, for it's it's for a lot of people, it's their favorite movie aside from the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. I think that the tide turned with Scream Factory's Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it like what 2012? I think it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so. the, well, you know, it could have been like a little bit before that, but that was when I really, like me personally, I started noticing a lot of these in defense of articles. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it seemed like the more that people revisited it maybe they weren't as precious with the series by then because mm-hmm. you know well you gotta think when halloween 3 came out we had halloween and halloween 2 mm-hmm. you know which were pretty fucking marvelous you know <laughs> in 2012 the most recent thing we had was rob zombies halloween 2 mm-hmm. which right. i mean i don't know about you but me personally i'm i'm not not really digging michael myers being led by the ghost of his mom in a white horse you know what i mean <laughs> So maybe that's when people were like, you know what? Let's give this a shot because we've seen a lot worse. You know, maybe we were wrong. And they Probably. fucking were. They were. You motherfuckers were wrong. Because <laughs> Hall- Halloween 3 was always great. Mm-hmm. It has always been one of the best films in the series. Agreed. So how about for you, Izzy? When did you start noticing um, the tide turning on this movie? I mean... Definitely within the last seven years, for sure. Um, it's hard to say, um, but I'm glad that people are waking the hell up because it's such a fucking crazy, awesome, beautiful, mad science fiction film. Like it, it's made of all these Frankenstein parts, and it's not perfect, but it, it is perfect mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love mean, it's it very al- much. Almost to the point where it's coming around. Like I'm looking, you know, like in defense of Halloween three, like. Um, or hot take Halloween three is the best Halloween sequel. I can say like, it's not a hot take anymore. I think this is an almost universally beloved movie by the horror community now. And I think with good reason, I think like everything from like Don Post masks, um, this might be Carpenter's best score 
overall. Like, I love well, the score to this movie. Even more than the thing? S- yeah. Ooh. Well, the thing is, is I know not Carpenter's score, but... It's it's NEO plus Carpenter-esque. Right. With some, some bits in there. So mm-hmm. that's why I still count it. Yeah. What's been great is seeing... I think from start to finish, it might be his strongest score. From, like, the, the whole start to finish, this might be his best score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is seeing all the homages to Halloween 3 in other films. You know, David Gordon Green's film had, you mm-hmm. know, three kids with a silver, silver shamrock mask. Or even uh, Wingard's uh, The Guest. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole end sequence in the kind of, like, haunt. You know, there were big references to Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like it's so just commonly loved at this point. Where, I mean, like I said, it's great. But, you know... I have to rewatch that. It's been a long time since I've seen the guests, but I remember loving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and yeah, and, you know, I think we'll end with this for our final thoughts. But how you can't get the silver shamrock theme out of your head? It's just <laughs> it's it's almost devious. time, kids. Yeah. It's just devious how Tune catchy in for it is. For the big giveaway at nine, <sighs> don't forget your masks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But like you start playing that song and it gets in your head and you just cannot stop thinking about it. Oh, stop, stop. <laughs> you expected that. Don't tell me that you did not. Oh, Come on my now. God. That's, that's actually, that's my wife's ringtone. That's and amazing. Like anytime she's not in the room, I kind of like lean over and put her phone on silent because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just can't do it. Like I love it with the passion, but I will be humming that for days on end. Right. That's fair. Yeah. It's just like it's, you know, did, is that did Carpenter write that bit? Was it or was that brought in? Like, is that all Carpenter at that point coming with that theme? Like, oh, I think that's man. Howard, isn't it? We, you know, we're going to have to ask him that. Oh, it seems, yeah. Right. It seems way too playful for Carpenter. Yeah. Um, but, oh, my God. It's just like it's like just so catchy and fun, and it will melt your brain. I don't think it's anything to do with Stonehenge. I think hearing that song on repeat <laughs> is what melts the kid's brain at that point. That That's or quite Tommy possible. Wallace's, Tommy Lee Wallace's just silky, smooth voice. Hey, could <laughs> yeah. be. The band's got some pipes. So we we talked briefly about the ending of this movie, and I think we're all in agreement. Like these kids are fucked. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> these dead. kids are like they're all dead. But I think it's such a brilliant end. I think like that close up of Aki's a sweaty, hot mess by that point. All his composure is gone. He's just ripped the arm off his robot girlfriend and basically killed her. <laughs> um, at that point, which is incredible. <laughs> Um, so he's well, it, it's full circle. It comes full circle. He's basically the crazy guy from the beginning. Exactly. And he's back at that same gas station. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I did not notice until my most recent watch of this movie. I'm like, holy shit, it's the same station. Yeah. So you're right. Like, it's the cycle of life, or it's like the circle of life. It's yeah, basically, it's basically a, a Lion King spinoff. <laughs> it's really a Lion <laughs> King prequel. It's what Halloween say is. And also, no. it goes back to the fact of the nihilism here. Whatever mm-hmm. you do, it doesn't matter. You're fucked. You're fucked. Yeah. Completely messed. Yeah. So it's, it's that, just... And it's also the best homage to the end of Body Snatchers as well. So yes, I think it goes true. back to that as well. Mm-hmm. But you have like that, the, the reverb on the stop it and then go right to credits at that point. Um, like if you're not like that is a gut punch of an ending. It might be the best ending of any of the Halloween movies. Aside from the first one. <laughs> Sure. 
judges will accept. I, I love it very much, and mm-hmm. that's what I have to say. Judges will accept. So yes. do we have any last words on Halloween 3 before we cut it for the night? You were all wrong. <laughs> all of you. And you're welcome, motherfuckers. Yes. yes. Right? Yeah. So... I think we can close the book. I, you know, I think that this was a lot of fun. And I think yeah. listeners, you can tell, like, these are the episodes that are really fun to do. When you have three <laughs> people that absolutely love a movie and want to gush over it uh, and just really spill our love for the movie overall. This was also, this was also our most aggressive sounding episode. Yeah. I've learned. <laughs> yeah. I will take full responsibility for that. No, you you know, like, as you just bring out the aggression in, in everybody at that point. So, so yeah, you know, I'm going to. It's not the first time. Yeah, I'm going to hang up and go punch someone in the face. Yeah! Just some random person. Just punch (laughs) them as hard as I can in the face. I kind of want to, like, bring this movie to school and bring in a bunch of these masks and make the kids wear them at school and then show them this and watch them freak the fuck out. Oh, my God. You're so evil right now. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know, I work. (laughs) Like, yeah, I think that would be a blast. I think I would be fired. Probably. Um, You know, I don't think I'd have a job anymore. Um... (laughs) But you know, well, if you I, hate your job, that's a fun way to go out. I, I kind of dig it. But we could also teach them about the fine art of seduction, Tom Atkins style. Oh my god, so, dude! He did start the Atkins diet, which is like cigarettes, <laughs> beer, scotch, and vagina. It's basically the Atkins diet. Oh so, my god! So, god. So, all right, so I think that's the note we're going to go out on. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for Good. jumping with us tonight. Before we go. You are basically one of the hardest working people I know and one of the busiest people <laughs> I know. So tell us a little bit about some of the films that you have playing the circuit right now. There's like three off the top of my head, and I know that I'm missing a few out of <laughs> the uh, Yeah, so there there are three shorts. My Monster uh, stars Bria Grant, Adam Egypt Mortimer, and uh, who directed Daniel Isn't Real, mm-hmm. and Steve Johansson directed by myself mm-hmm. uh and that is that is uh, making the rounds but uh coming down uh it's been playing for maybe a year and a half now I have the obliteration of the chickens which is a uh a Werner herzog s uh treatise on nihilism and existentialism mm-hmm. and it's actually kind of a, a comedy believe it or not and i have and it's all stock footage right Yes, that's that's yeah. all stock footage narrated by my friend, the really great author Bracken McLeod. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Rehome stars Gigi Saul Guerrero, Casey Lansdale, and Morgan Morgan Peter Brown, and uh, that is also making the rounds right now. And that's about immigration and the uh, the nonsense going on down and between U.S. and Mexico. And your films have always had like a political slant to them and a very like progressive slant to them overall. How important do you see this intersection of like progressive politics and genre films? Uh, I think uh, horror and politics have have been around forever. Uh, You can go all the way back to like White Zombie, which I think was Mm -hmm. what, 1931. Mm -hmm. And that's about, you know, slavery and and voodooism and controlling women and controlling people of color and you know i mean we we would go back to the very very instances of cinema um it's horror is a genre that uh it goes hand in hand with making a statement to be light about it um but you can you can get away with uh a lot of really great things not just the spectrum of human emotion but you can basically say whatever you want and encase it in horror. I mean, I don't want to be flippant about it, but that's basically what it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
albums you have that you're working on right now or that are making the festival circuit right now? You've got some work that have come up in some new anthologies, and what else do you have going on? Yeah, I have a couple of stories out in some uh, short horror short horror anthologies one is called tales from the crust an anthology of pizza horror <laughs> and Excellent. that is that my story in there is uh, demons of 1994 i've also got a story uh called famous last words in an anthology called lost films mm-hmm. as well as i did it for the art which is in the all-female horror anthology fright into flight mm-hmm. among awesome. others and you and your work can be found on Amazon right now. Like if somebody yes. wants to buy, where will we actually go find those works? Yeah, you can uh, look me up on Amazon. I have an author's uh, author's page there. I've got a Goodreads page. Um, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing is an, another place where you can get uh, a couple of those anthologies, Lost Films and the Pizza Horror Anthology, as well as Dark Moon Digest, which I have a story uh in issue 35 of that co-written with Casey Lansdale Mm -hmm. and that's all about Hollywood sex and death. Super fun. (laughs) So yeah. And what else do you have coming up in the future? Any new projects you can actually, you just, you just were named uh, with this new streaming service as well. Correct. Uh, Yeah. So I am uh, a vice president at a uh, forthcoming app called Ficto Mm -hmm. and, and, I am VP of Programming Outreach, and so I am sourcing new series and long short films to segment into series, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll be launching early next year. Okay, so we'll definitely be on the lookout for that, and when that comes out, we'll definitely tweet out. So if our listeners want to find your work, where is the best, if, or they just want to get in contact with you, mm-hmm. like where is the best way through the socials right now to do that? Sure. The easiest way is just to go to my website, which has all that stuff, uh, nihilnoctum.com, which is N-I-H-I-L-N-O-C-T-E-M.com. Perfect. And what we'll do is we'll put a link to that over there in our show notes, listeners. So you can go in. Ooh, it's looking good. So we have some trailers up there. And I know that the obliteration of the chickens was done in conjunction with like Michael Epstein and so- uh, Sophia Cassiola. Am I saying that right? Uh, and Mike was my editor uh, for the obliteration of the chickens. They mm-hmm. both worked on Rehome. Oh, they both worked in Rehome. So yeah, she thought she thought that were former filmmakers from Boston that moved out to greener pastures out west, but we love them, <laughs> love them dearly. Yes. So Izzy, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we are so glad to have you on. Listeners, thank you very much. Um, stay tuned. Later this week, we actually have a really special episode coming up. Um, Halloween Day, we are going to be dropping a special commentary on Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, where Jerry and I are going to be joined by our kids who are going to be giving their running commentary in the movie. So for folks that are getting in from trick-or-treating on Halloween night and plan on throwing on like a really fun slasher, um, and look, you can listen to the commentary while you watch a different movie. I mean, there's no rule against it. It just might not really make sense, but you know, we're really excited to bring that to you guys. So until next week, thanks again. We are The Pod and the Pendulum, and we'll hear you from you guys soon. Yay! Perfect. There we go.